0: Well, take your Bible, let's go to Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20, and our paradox today is simply this, the way up is down, the way up is down, and this principle is taught many places in the scripture, but it's emphasized here particularly in Matthew chapter 20, and I'll call your attention to verses 25 through 28. Matthew chapter 20, 25 through 28. Jesus called them unto Him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, Let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, humanly speaking, we are built to get to the top. We are all built with a certain level of competitive nature. We're all built with wanting to succeed, to arrive at some form of success. We are all climbers, if you please. We all like being first. We like being the best. And we strive in those ways, certainly as a Christian, to be our best for the Lord, to do our best for the Lord Jesus Christ who saved us. And so there's a certain human element to our lives that that wants to get to the top Several years ago now, I was driving one Saturday afternoon, and I was sleepy. I I was just having trouble staying awake, and I turned on the radio, hoping to maybe pick up a ball game. It was basketball season, and I thought, there's got to be a basketball game on. And I was driving through the state of Wisconsin, and I picked up a game that was being played in Madison, Wisconsin, between the University of Wisconsin Badgers and the Northwestern Wildcats from Evanston, Illinois. Now, at that time, there were only 10 teams in the Big Ten, and these two teams, it was toward the end of the season, and neither one of them had won a game. They were both 0 And so the winner of this game would obviously, you know, finish ninth in the Big Ten, and the loser would be in the basement. And so this game was deciding who was going to be last, basically. And so it was not an exciting game at all. It was, in fact, it made me more sleepy to listen to it the teams were terrible. They weren't going anywhere. They weren't going to make the tournament or anything like that. They were they were just having a terrible season. But I'm I'm listening to it just out of, you know, just trying to have some noise. And toward the end of the game, Wisconsin took about a 5-point lead with just a few seconds left, and the crowd began to yell, "We're number 9. We're number 9. We're number 9." And I remember thinking, who cares, right? I mean, nobody cares about finishing ninth. We want to be number one, the biggest, the brightest, the best. We want to climb the ladder of success. And the world's philosophy is to step on anybody that gets in the way. Well, how does God advise us to get to the top? How does God advise us when it comes to success? I mean, certainly we want to be a successful Christian. We'd like to be a successful soul winner. We'd like to be successful with our families. We'd like to be successful one day, perhaps in our ministry of pastoring a church or teaching a class in a Christian school or going and reaching a mission field for Christ or leading a youth group as a youth pastor or leading a choir as a music director or serving in an office as an administrative assistant. We'd like to be considered a success. So let's think about from this passage three categories to our visual of success. We first see a description of the world. In verse number 25, you know that the princes of the Gentiles, Jesus said, exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. So he's describing how the world does it. The world, the princes of the Gentiles, here's how they get to the top. Here's how lost people get to the top. They dominate. They, they play the part of an authority. They're the boss. They're, they're on top. And, and, and we see today in our world many people drunk on power. Boy, their whole goal in life is not even to make money. It's not even to, 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 to be esteemed in the eyes of others. They, they just want power. They want to control, whether it's the company or whether it's the the nation or whatever it is. They want to control things. They want power. There were people in the Bible like this. People like Nebuchadnezzar, whom he would he slew, whom he would he kept alive, whom he would he set up, whom he would he put down. All nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Why? Because his word was the law. There was no judge and jury. If he said Jesse Everson, "You're you're dead, he was dead. There was nobody to come on his side. Nebuchadnezzar was the final word. He was was drunk with power. I think Herod in the New Testament, who, who stood in Acts chapter 12 and made a speech and the people gave a shout. It's the voice of a God and not a man. Herod was drunk on his power, his authority, his position. But Notice what Jesus said in verse 26. But it shall not be so among you. So whatever we see in the world as this drunken drive for power, for being on the top, God says, No, no, that's not what's supposed to characterize you. There's a description here of the world, and he follows that with a prescription of God's will. He says in verse 26, It shall not be so among you, But, here's the prescription, whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. So in almost complete opposite, God says for us as believers, we're not to be climbing the ladder of success, stepping on anybody that gets in our way and pushing them aside so that we can get to the top. Rather, no, God says, I want you to grab the lowest rung on the ladder. I want you to find a place of service. I want you to find a place where you can help somebody else get to the top. Don't seek power. Seek a place to serve. He that is greatest among you, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 11, shall be your servant. Samuel said, Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things He hath done for you. God told His people, the nation of Israel, And now Israel, what doth the Lord require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Listen, students, don't worry about what you're going to get out of it. Try to find a way to give into it. Find the lowest rung on the ladder. Learn how to serve. I want to give you a challenge this week. Look for a way to serve that can never be traced back to you. Look for a way to serve this week that cannot be traced back to you. Because that will check the motive of our service, won't it? Because oftentimes we're willing to serve as long as somebody is, hey, great job, here's a Snickers bar. Hey, great job, Here's here's a $5 gift card to the GA. Man, way to go. Good job. Look for a way to serve that can never be traced back to you. Look what you can give into it, not what you can get out of it a prescription of God's will in contrast to the description of the world. And then notice thirdly, a manifestation of God's way. In verse 28, he gives us the example of the manifestation of this, of this principle. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Here's the ultimate example the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the ultimate manifestation of service. I think that there are a lot of compliments given of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible, and rightly so. But I think the greatest of all is in Romans 15, 3, where Paul said, even Christ pleased not himself. What a statement. Christ pleased not himself. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Oh, what an example. He said in John 8 verse 29, "I do always the things that please him." Sometimes I try to ponder that verse at the end of a day, John 8:29. And I think, did I do anything today? just to please Him? Or was what I did always tainted with me? Was it always tainted with some benefit that I might get? That's why I served. Jesus said, I do always the things that please Him. It didn't matter if anybody would notice. It didn't matter if anybody would applaud. It didn't matter if anybody would reciprocate The Lord Jesus Christ wanted only to please His Father. In John chapter 13, after washing the disciples' feet, Jesus said, I've given you an example that you should do as I've done unto you. What had He done? He had served. He had served. I was in a revival meeting years ago with a pastor by the name of Bob Lane. I preached for him a few times. I first came to know Dr. Lane through his son and daughter. They were classmates of mine in college. I remember when we were freshmen word came to the school one day and we had prayer in chapel for Mrs. Lane who had a brain tumor and she was going to need some immediate surgery. Now I remember the administration there prayed in chapel for Mrs. Lane and a few days later we got the report that the surgery had been partially successful in getting the tumor, but it had left her somewhat incapacitated. Here was a lady that was a teacher. Here was a lady that was the church pianist. She was a wonderful soloist, just a, a wonderful pastor's wife, and now all those things were gone from her life. Now, I remember my conversations with Bobby and Becky about their mom through college and I thought I wonder one day maybe I'll get to meet her. They spoke so highly of her and, and their dad who, who took this all just kind of in stride and kept pastoring and kept serving the Lord. It was my privilege then some years later to hold some revivals for Dr. Lane. He was pastoring for a while in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin the Grace Baptist Church. At that time Dr. Lane was caring for his wife, of course, who was in a wheelchair. When he would come to church, he would pull up to the handicapped spot that was for him and he would get out of the car, he would go around to the pastor's side and he would put his arms underneath his wife and he would lift her out of that car and he would carry her into the church and set her on the second row. He then would go back to the car and get his mother-in-law, who was also in a wheelchair and lived with them. And he would get her out of the car and put her in a wheelchair and bring her and set her next to his wife on the second row. Then he'd go back to the car and get his father-in-law, who also lived with them, who was completely blind. And he would lead his father-in-law into the church and have him seated there on the second row. When the service was over, the process was repeated in reverse. We would go soul winning and Dr. Lane would, would pick me up and we'd go out and almost like clockwork on the top of the hour, he'd say, well, Brother guess I got to run by the house real quick. We'd go by the house and he'd say, you can wait in the car, I'll be just a minute. But he would go in, he'd take all three of those people to the restroom, then he would come back out, we'd go soul winning for another hour and then we'd go back to the house He'd take them all to the restroom, make sure they were okay, see if they needed anything. We go back soul winning every hour. I asked him about that one time. He said, I do it 24 hours a day. My alarm is set on the hour. I awaken to make sure that they're okay. One day he said to us after the service, My family was standing there, my wife, and we had two kids at that time, and he said, "Uh, Brother Getch, my family and I'd like to take you out to eat tomorrow night. And I said, Oh, Dr. Lane, you don't have to take us out to eat. We're fine. We were living in a trailer there on the property and we were taking care of our meals ourselves. And I said, Dr. Lane, you know, no. No, he said, we insist. It would be our honor to take you out to eat. I said, Well, okay. Shall we meet you somewhere? He said, yes, meet us at Sizzler tomorrow night at 5 o'clock. We got to Sizzler a little bit early. We sat there in the parking lot. I I knew his car, I knew his his vehicle, and pretty soon he pulled in. And he got his wife, and he carried her into the restaurant. Then he wheeled his mother-in-law in. in. Then he led his father-in-law in, in, got them all seated around a table there at Sizzler, made sure that we were comfortable as a family. And we ordered. Food came. Dr. Lane didn't order anything. He didn't get a meal. That entire time, he fed, forkful by forkful, his wife, his mother-in-law, his father-in-law, because at that point, they they couldn't feed themselves. I sat there and watched that man, and I thought, he does this three times a day. Students, that's a picture of greatness. Dr. Lane never pastored a huge church pastored three churches. They got behind on his salary. He told me one time that the churches that he pastored had failed to pay him almost $100,000 in salary. They just didn't have the money. He never pastored a large church. Dr. Lane was not a wealthy man. But I'll tell you what, he was a successful man because he was a servant. When Dr. Lane cared for his people in that church, he gave them that same undivided attention and care that he gave his wife and his mother-in-law and father-in-law. It was amazing to watch. He'd say before the service, Billy Gets, come, let's pray. I'd go in the office, he said, you pray first. And I would pray as best I knew how. And after I prayed, Dr. Lane would always say, Lord, I just want to say amen to John's prayers. And he would stand up. He just would always defer, always hand off any success. He would always, always give the credit somewhere else. And yet, he was one of the greatest men I've ever known because he knew how to serve. The way up is down.